Welcome back to America Speaks. I'm here today with Deb Holland, who is running for Congress in the 1st District from New Mexico. This is really quite exciting for all of us today because you represent a strong voice for truth and integrity in government. And what I mean by that is I look at your campaign and, you know, to me, it's a real testimony of all that you have fought for, for as long as you have really first landed on the political stage. I think this campaign embodies your truth and your passion, your spirit, and your hope for the future. So I am really delighted that our audience today is going to have a chance to look at your campaign as a hope for the future. You know, we decided early on that we have a set of values we want to live by. That's me and my entire team. We have worked hard to embody those values with our campaign. It's a little revolution of its own. You know, you're going to make history with your victory. It's so refreshing to see how you have picked up strength and so many endorsements. You have become the little engine that could. So I know one of your campaign mottos is, are you ready to be fierce? So let's tell our audience, how do we become fierce? You know, when I think about fierce, I think about the students in the March for Our Lives who had enough of gun violence in their schools and said, we are coming out no matter what. They were ready to make a change for their classmates who were killed. My hat's off to all of them. How could you say no to those kids, right? That's kind of what we mean by, are you ready to be fierce? It's, let's make the changes that we need to make in this country, regardless of what happens to us, right? We're going to say no to the NRA. I'm sure there's a lot of politicians out there that would be afraid to go against the NRA because they don't want to lose their financial contributions. But I have said that I will not take any money from the NRA, so I don't have to be afraid or worry about what they think about me or my campaign. Let's just do what needs to be done for our country and my district here in New Mexico. Let's talk about 100% renewable energy and work toward that because we know that's what needs to be done. Well, you know, it's a question of being honest. It really is. It goes down to the values that you are not just standing up for your own integrity, but there takes a certain amount of courage to step out of the crowd. It does actually reflect on your intent and your determination because, Deb, the way I look at it, you have devoted your life to fighting for families and those that are struggling to make ends meet for women's rights, for better education in our public schools, for veterans, for Native Americans on all issues. So let's start by getting a sense from you on some of these vital issues. Uh, you know, climate change and renewable energy, that's an issue that a lot of New Mexicans care about. It's really number one on our campaign because we truly believe that if we don't have a viable environment, what do we have? If we want to move to 100% renewable energy right now, the government's going to have to lead on it. If somebody wants to get a renewable energy on their private home, it's going to cost about $20,000. And there are a lot of folks right here in New Mexico, <laughs> including myself, who could never afford to pay for that out of pocket or even get a loan for $20,000. So it's no mystery that the government will need to lead in this effort. 
So I'm anxious to be a part of an infrastructure plan put out by the Democrats that includes renewable energy for every single community in this country. And I believe that's definitely where we start. Why do you think we're not hearing about any solid steps towards a plan to provide that kind of break for regular hard-working families across this country? Well, I think that a lot of politicians are in the pocket of the fossil fuel industry. A couple months ago, I was in D.C. and I joined the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. We had a press conference about President Trump's infrastructure plan, which had no plan for renewable energy. It was all, where are we going to drill and how are we going to frack? And it was all about fossil fuel and nothing about renewable energy. So that's why my campaign, we have said we are not taking any money from the fossil fuel industry. We're not taking any money from the NRA. We're not taking any money from any corporate PACs, uh, big pharma, anyone or any organization or entity that compromises our values because we want to make sure that the voters in New Mexico feel confident about what I will go to Washington, D.C. to do. And so I truly believe that we need to start leading for the people and not for the folks who are donating to our campaigns. Because you're beholden then to a whole host of lobbyists. Fundamentally, this goes to how campaigns today are financed at such high levels that it really makes it impossible to combat these large entities that fuel your opponents, right? Yes. You know, look, I signed pledges to not accept money from these organizations, and I will be true to my word. Well, I have no doubt that that's the case. You know, I want to introduce Kim Langbecker, who's joining us today in this conversation. And Kim, I know that you live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and all of us today on this podcast have a very strong and personal commitment to protecting immigrant rights and civil rights and human rights. So Kim, I think you have a question for Deb on that. Thank you, Tish. Deb, I just wanted to say one quick thing before we move into that question is, I think what's really fascinating about what's going on in our political world at the moment is we're hearing about folks like you, you know, the gentleman that ran in Georgia, the election that just happened in Arizona, all of these different elections that we would have never, ever heard anything about because it is so vital right now. So those campaigns are almost like national campaigns. We see them being commented on from MSNBC and CNN and all these other places, just like they're a national race. So mm -hmm. I think what you're doing as far as going out and creating that kind of network nationally is critical. And I think it helps for those of us that were so blown away at what happened at the presidential election and sort of those voices that said they weren't being heard and that's how they voted, that this is a, it's a great civics lesson. It's unfortunate we've gotten to that point because of what happened, but it's also really good because in, being informed and educated is the best thing that we can possibly do as an electorate. Absolutely. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you. You know, what we have to fight for is beyond just issues here. I think we are really fighting for the concept that we do have a voice and actually it isn't about these big entities that can take over the choices that affect our lives, right? Right, right. No, absolutely. And think about, 
you know, I mentioned the students earlier, but uh, look at the teachers who are coming out and protesting. You know, it's shameful that we have teachers with two master's degrees or a master's degree and a PhD to not make enough money and they have to go to the food bank to get help with their food. It's a shame that it's come to this where we have failed to continuously value the hard work that people do in our country. And when we think about teachers, they're teaching our youth. They're teaching our future generations. You know, I started working when I was almost 15 here in Albuquerque at a local bakery. And I I use that example all the time because uh, it was a small independently owned business. I started out at minimum wage. It was $1.95 in about the end of 1974. And when I graduated from high school, I moved to the cake decorating department at full time. And the owners of the business gave us sick leave, they gave us paid holidays, they gave us bonuses when it was a particularly busy time of the year. And yet today, fast food workers in various parts of the country are striking because they can't live on minimum wage anymore. So we need to get back to a place where we as a society valued the hard work that people do and make sure that they have a means to live. Absolutely. It's terrible. There's too much inequity in our society. That's why people are feeling left behind, and that's why we end up with a Trump as our president. It's out of desperation, I feel, people are voting because they're not thinking. They're reacting. So I want to go back to Kim. I think you have a question for Deb that I know is very important related to immigrant rights and communities. Deb, we've seen so many issues around DACA and Dreamers and how it affects people here. Certainly, you have probably seen something that's sort of similar in the Native American communities when they were forced into separations and families torn apart. Talk a little bit about that. They're sort of forced Mm -hmm. into a no man's land, right? But the reality is that uh, we need a comprehensive immigration reform. The reality Mm -hmm. is that even individuals who have DACA status, they are still not free to come and go as they please. A good friend of mine, her grandfather lives in Mexico, and she and her two siblings are on DACA. One of them was set to expire. They were worried. Uh, She was afraid. And so my friend had to travel to Mexico on her own to go visit the grandfather for Christmas, and the rest of the family had to stay behind. So it's nearly impossible for families to do things as a family because people are afraid. Yes, Native Americans were separated from their tribes. They were taken off their lands and put on other lands, and a lot of people were separated and died in the process. Uh, But even much later on, governmental policies of sending Native Native American kids to boarding school, that separated them from their families as well. That was my grandmother who suffered in that manner. And, you know, whenever I see a DACA families being separated in this way, it breaks my heart. We have truly become two Americas. And I wonder from the core of this issue on immigration, it's an issue of persecution. Why can't we come to grips with this in a positive way? Well, when I watched the President's State of the Union address, the camera's mulling around the room and you can see who's in the room, right? There's a lot of white males. There's a lot of people. And for folks who have always been represented by people in public office, it's easy for them to see themselves in that room. But someone like me, who has never seen a Native American woman on the floor of the house or in any high governmental office like that, it makes me feel like we just have work to do. 50 years ago in 1968, 
Shirley Chisholm was elected as the first African-American woman in Congress. And I imagine that she opened up a door that had previously just been closed tight. And she probably inspired a tremendous number of black women and even black men to run for office, whether it was Congress or Senate or anything, House seats, county commissions, whatever it is. So in a way, I feel like that's what I'm trying to bring with my campaign is some understanding about, yes, uh, those of us who haven't previously had a seat at the table, we would like to have one because we believe our voices are valuable to the discussion about the future of our country. Amen. And you deserve a seat at the table and we need you to have a seat at the table. Deb, I want to thank you so much for today's interview and for sharing with our audience your views on issues all Americans care about and are concerned about for their families. Your candidacy is a powerful inspiration for all women and for all Native American women. I know that we will be celebrating you making history as your victory feels so vital for the direction our nation needs to be going in. Your grassroots efforts to win voters' confidence with a campaign built on passion and honesty and a deep caring about American families has struck a chord across the country, and it's no wonder Barack Obama has endorsed you. And Deb, can you tell our listeners how they can reach you and how they can learn more about your candidacy? My website is debforcongress.com. If you have protested for anything in the past 18 years, you very well may be in my book, I Protest. Please go to my website, tishlampert.org. That's www.tishlampert.org and see if you can find yourself in my book. You can also follow me on Twitter at tishlampertcom. That's at T-I-S-H-L-A-M-P-E-R-T-C-O-M. And find me on Instagram, T-I-S-H underscore L-A-M-P-E-R-T underscore O-R-G. And I want to invite everyone to go to Tish Lampert's America Speaks on Apple Podcasts, where you can find our archived episodes. And once again, I want to thank James Koblenz, Oscar Batista, and Kim Langbacker, without whom this episode would not be possible. And lastly, we would love to hear from you. Please write to us at americaspeakspodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you thought of today's episode and come back for our next episode of America Speaks. Remember, America Speaks believes every one of us has a story. And a voice. <laughs>